This is Alanu Velsharik, and I'm speaking with my friend and co-author Courtney Freer on some of the ideas we discuss in our book, Tribalism and Political Power in the Gulf, which was recently published by Bloomsbury. Hi, it's great to be here. So the book itself has six substantive chapters, in addition to an introduction and conclusion, which focus on definitional and theoretical issues. So we start in the first substantive chapter by looking at the historical relationships between the Kuwaiti, Qatari, and Emirati ruling families and tribal populations both before and immediately after they achieved political independence. In so doing, we discuss the relationship between tribal and merchant populations, as well as the origin of some citizenship laws that have arguably perpetuated a distinct tribal identity in these states. I think in terms of state identity formation and citizenship, many academics have discussed the fusion of sea and desert symbols in these states, like the Dow and the Falcon. They, they see it as a celebration of the seafaring past alongside desert life revivalism. But on closer analysis, we discuss how the Bedouin lifestyle practiced today is for the most part seasonal or recreational, or we find it on a state level in tourism and heritage products, yet it's still seen as more authentic as a performative recreation of historical legitimacy. And we call this phenomena Bedouin light. Absolutely. And in our second chapter, we look at the social evolution of tribes. Indeed, they've changed quite a bit from being essentially political actors, states when there were no states, pre-independence, and now they've become primarily socially coherent bodies. And this doesn't mean that they don't have political capital, which is something we talk about later, but it does mean that they have changed and that they are now fundamentally modern actors. I guess for many foreign observers, the tribal is reflected in a more anthropological approach that assumes that the Bedouin tribes are the origin of both national identity and many of the Arabian Gulf iconography. But for most nationals, the tribal is associated with a particular ancestry and is a marker of socioeconomic status. And this governs social, political, financial, and even commercial relationships in these states. Exactly. And in the third chapter, we examine efforts to define tribal identity and to harbor its perpetuation through specifically heritage production projects. So in that chapter, we detail points of tension between grassroots and state-led efforts to promote tribal identity through, for instance, the perpetuation of so-called heritage sports like camel racing, falconry, pearl diving, particularly as a means of boosting national identity. And we found that tribal tropes are often used in this way as a shorthand for citizen belonging, since these tropes date back to the pre-oil and pre-independence era, and thus also distinguish citizens from large expatriate populations in these states. Exactly. So in this part of the world where the last name one carries is still the most potent determinant of social and political currency, we've tried to show the many ways that tribe and tribal manifestations are continuously transforming the way the world interacts with these Gulf states and how the national populations can use these terms to self-identify or to other some subgroups and non-national residents. It'd be interesting to see how much this shifting focus on tribalism is likely to change or remain central to the future ambitions of these Gulf states as they become more attuned to attracting foreign nationals and foreign investment and with movement away from petrodollar income. Exactly. I mean, the situation is not 
static. Um, and the fourth substantive chapter looks at what we call the tribalization of the non-tribal and showcases how tribal populations have come to influence non-tribal citizenry, as well as how some ruling elites have tried to harness the social and political capital accorded to tribes for their own ends. And so we look at this in the context of domestic politics, but also in the realm of foreign policy, specifically the mobilization of tribes during the Gulf crisis between 2017 and 2021. Yes, and even on the local level, these differences and tensions between original settled nationals and the later settled tribes of nomadic or Bedouin origins is one that runs through historical and current dialogues on identity and national unity. This has been agitated recently through ballot boxes and the adoption of democratic practices. And the tribal populations have become more emboldened in the case of Kuwait, even confrontational. So they've moved away from the assumed traditional role as dependable governmental allies to more independent political agents. Absolutely. And the fifth chapter covers this evolution and talks about what I call electoral tribalism. And it examines how tribal groups operate as political parties or brands in states that lack formal political parties, which all three of these do. And, you know, this tribalism and tribal belonging still appeals to the youthful populations of the Arabian Gulf. And it's it shows the social and material parts that are associated with tribal belonging, whether they're actual or perceived. And you can see tribal forums and tribal only spaces appearing online just as they do in reality. What is interesting is that we have unfiltered access to all sides of the tribal and citizenship debate taking place simultaneously online and real time. And part of that is the emergence of self-identifying tribal women who championed their own causes and kept represent themselves online without ambassadorship. Yeah, exactly. And the last substantive chapter demonstrates ways that tribes have adapted online and using new media in particular to, to reach out to youth and women on social media spaces. And so they have adapted quite well. <laughs>